We're going to read through them as they're printed in your bulletin because that's the way I'm going to preach through them. And you'll need to somehow have a system there that you want to mark those because you want to have your eyes on the text as we read each one and as we consider what they have to say in the sermon today. So we'll start with Mark 15 and then we'll move from the gospel to the Acts of the Apostles or the act, Acts of the Holy Spirit in Acts 13. And then one of Paul's earliest letters is Galatians and we'll finish in Galatians. Mark 15, Acts 13, Galatians 2. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, This man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Jose and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You may be seated. We'll take a minute just to silently consider what the Word of God has to say. Let me encourage you again to hold in your Bible the places that we read. We'll begin with Mark chapter 15. I know some of you are avid bird watchers. You have a lot of different bird feeders in your yard. 
the ones that are closest to the trees, they have the squirrel-resistant you know, mechanism on them. Or if the squirrel-resistant mechanism doesn't work, you have a pellet gun handy just to encourage the squirrels to move in a different direction. You have your bird bass sort of strategically placed in the yard. Inside your house near some kind of window, you have a pair of binoculars and you have a book. But when a bird flies into your yard, you don't say, look, there's a bird. And if another one flies in, you don't say, and and it's it's another bird. We've got birds all over the place. The reason you don't say that is because you identify the birds. You don't just say, a bird has flown into my backyard. You, You say, a blue jay has flown into my backyard. A woodpecker has flown into my backyard. A hawk has flown into my backyard. A grackle has flown into my backyard. A a painted bunting, a a hummingbird, whatever it is that might be attracted to the buffet that you have spread out in your backyard, if you don't know it, you pick up your book and you begin to flip through the pages and the way you know one bird from another is by their markings. They have certain patterns of feathers or they have certain colors or there are certain things that are distinctive about each bird, certain markings that separate one bird from another. Last month I was in a conversation with one of our members, Jenny Kearns, and she's also a friend and we just happened to be talking in my office and in the course of the conversation, she realized we were getting to the end of our study in Mark. And she just sort of said, well, well, we're the Mark Church. Because we've been doing it for a long time. And she said, well, what are we going to do next? And so I, I began to just think about her comment. We're, we're the Mark Church. And I began to roll that over in my mind and wondered that if you've been here and you've heard 60 plus sermons on the Gospel of Mark, are we the marked church? The, the vision of Christ Community Church is to bring people in a, into a life-transforming encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And so I began to wonder if, if we've read through the whole book of Mark, if we've listened to these sermons, if we've considered what God is saying to us, are we really marked? Do we have the markings of somebody who really has been transformed by the person of Christ? So I want to spend the next few weeks just looking at some of the markings, not all of them, but how would you know when somebody walks into your house or you walk into the community? How would you know it's just not a person? Like it's just not a bird. You, what kind of markings would you look for to say, okay, that's consistent with somebody who's been transformed by the gospel? So this morning we look at our three texts and I want to point out the first marking and that is that people marked by the gospel are people who intentionally who are intentionally reaching across cultural, racial, social barriers in order to build unity 
and display the gospel. One of the markings, something that you would look for in a person who's been been transformed by the person of Christ is that person would intentionally begin to cross over barriers. They may be national barriers, they may be ethnic barriers, they may be social barriers, they may be economic barriers, they may be race barriers, whatever they are, somebody marked by the gospel begins to move forward and begin to hurdle some of the barriers that they face in their culture. I think the topic is providentially is uh, particularly important since this is the Sunday before the celebration of the Martin Luther King holiday tomorrow. Some of you are old enough to remember when segregation was legally mandated. You had to have separate schools. You had to have separate motel rooms and separate drinking fountains and separate restrooms. And our society as a whole couldn't have more clearly communicated the lie that being black in America was a disease. There's no way you could have lived in the culture and not understood that there was a clear separation, there was a clear boundary, and the two things didn't mix together. And as, as, as much of a, a low point that is in our culture, in our country, Perhaps even lower was that many of the Christian churches at that time consented to that kind of character and conduct. And so it's not something we prop up and we're proud of. We're, we're glad we've gotten through some of those things. But that continues to be pervasive in our culture. If you've watched anything about the election process, it, it's always a tension in that area in where we live, particularly in the South. So today I just want to look at these passages and think through with you and just begin looking at how you might be marked by the gospel in this particular way. So Mark chapter 15 shows us that you have to have a new orientation. Mark chapter 13 shows us a model. And Galatians 2 shows us the difficulty. When we look at Mark 15... The very first thing we have to understand is we have to have a completely new orientation. When you get to Acts 13, the Acts 13 serves as a great model. And then when we turn to Galatians 2, we see the reality of the difficulty of this kind of life. So let's look at Mark chapter 15 first, a new orientation. You and I live in what's called a solar system. The sun sits at the center of the system, and it alone has the gravitational power to keep all of the objects circling around itself in a system. There's eight or nine planets, depending how you count major planets. There's three dwarf planets. There's at least 170 moons, and there's millions, maybe billions of other particles in this system, but everything in the system is oriented towards or facing what's at the very center, the one thing that has the gravitational pull to keep all of this diversity in the system centering around itself. And when we come to Mark chapter 15, Mark tells us what's at the center of our system. 
What is it that we should be orienting ourselves around as Christians? What is the one thing that we should be facing? And so we turn there and we see that that place is what we lift up almost every week, and that's the cross of Christ. That's the center of all history. That's the center of our system. That's the the one thing that we face and look at and orient our lives around the cross. And you begin to see this happen. I hadn't noticed it the first time I read through Mark. You begin to see this orientation. You begin to see these three different groups of people drop out of a, an orbit they've been into and they begin to face the cross. And look, look with me. Verse 39, the first person you see at the cross who's getting a new orientation is the Roman centurion. Here, the Roman centurion is a picture of pagan power. Uh, somebody who's completely opposite of what we're going to get to in the Pharisee. This is somebody who's interested in power from the world. They're a pagan and they're not interested in religion at all. And so this is the first person who begins to orient themselves around the cross. The second group is women. You see a number of different times, especially in Mark chapter 15, these women are highlighted at different places at the cross and again at the tomb. And where the Roman centurion was the picture of power, pagan power, secular world power, the women are a picture for the ancient Near East of inferiority. Kind of a subclass of people. You remember that you couldn't trust a woman's testimony. You couldn't bring a woman into court and trust that what she would say. And here you have these women now. They've dropped out of their orbit and they're now orienting themselves around the cross. And finally, in verse 43, you see Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy Pharisee, somebody who would have been in the deliberations of the Pharisees who were putting Jesus on the cross. And he drops out of his orbit and he begins to face the cross. And now these three distinct people groups, the pagan, the inferior, the the religious insider, the Pharisee, they all begin their their orbit around one thing. Three groups of people who otherwise would have never come together. They would have never felt like they had anything in common. Now, because they're facing the same one thing, they begin to orient themselves around Christ. I love what one commentator had to say. What binds Christians together is not our common education, our common race, our common income, politics or nationality, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collection, but because they have all been saved by grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. We are a band of natural enemies turned into friends. People who love one another for Jesus' sake. Christian love is mutual love among social Incompatibles. Do you hear what the commentator is saying? We're, we're naturally a band of enemies. 
We're naturally socially incompatible. But when all of those people drop into an orbit around Christ and Him crucified, then all of the things that the world defines you as and the categories the world puts you into begin to separate away and you all find yourself now in the same orbit because you're orbiting around the same thing. I think that's why Paul says in Galatians 3, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Him. And now there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So so I want you to understand, when you get to the ground of the cross... When you begin to orient yourself around this new gravitational pull, when you look at the cross, what you're seeing is grace. And grace is a gift. Grace is always 100% a gift. So you couldn't come to the cross saying, I'm bringing anything with me that has any value at all. Everybody who stands on the the cross, the ground around the cross, is on equal footing. And so when we find ourselves at the cross, there is no advantage to being a man or a woman. There's no advantage to being formerly religious or secular. There's no advantage if you were powerful or you were insignificant. There's no advantage if you were an American or a Haitian. There's no advantage if you were black or white. There's no advantage if you were Republican or Democrat. There's no advantage if you were rich or poor. Because everybody's getting the same gift, and they're getting it because it's just a sheer act of grace. Nothing to the cross you bring. You don't bring your gender, you don't bring your nationality, you don't bring your pocketbook, you don't bring your education, you don't bring your politics, because everything at the cross is grace. And so now, when you and I have a new orientation, when we begin to face the cross, then we're going to find ourselves dropping into orbit around the cross with people who otherwise would be socially incompatibles. Perhaps even natural enemies. And you see that in Mark chapter 13. The bodies, so to speak, just begin to form in the pagan and the the women and the Pharisees. Well, when we move to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 begins to develop some models that we look at. In Acts 13, when you look at the church at Antioch, it serves as a good model for churches to follow. Many church history scholars would say, when you turn to Acts chapter 13 in the first few verses, that this church was involved in taking place or taking part in one of the most significant events in all of world history. Not just church history, but world history. What you see in verse 3 specifically changed the face of the planet. 
And so when we look at this church, we want to see what we can discover about the church. We want to hold it up as a model and ask ourselves, is there something here we can learn? And I want to point out just a couple of things to you. Antioch was a major city, probably about a half a million people, and it was outside of the country of Israel in Syria. If you wanted to, you could go back to chapter 11 and see that the people who first came to Antioch, the Jews that came there with the gospel, were really the first one that hurtled over this enormous barrier between Jew and Gentile. And so something happened very unique in that church where the gospel pretty much were coming to the Jewish people in the synagogues or any Greek people that had been around that were coming into the synagogues. But now when this group went to Antioch, they said, well, look, let's, let's sort of hop over all these cultural and social barriers and get out to the people who are really lost out here. And that's where that first took place in Acts chapter 11. And what we see here in Acts chapter 13 now are a couple of things. Look at verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. The, the first thing that we learn about the church at Antioch was what I hope would be the very first thing out of your mouth or somebody's mouth about Christ Community Church. There's a massive priority on the Bible. The first thing we want to hold up is to say, we are a people of the book. We're a people behind the book. We're a people in the book. And, and we're promoting the people who are teaching us the gospel. Because if we don't have that one component, then we really don't have anything. Because we want to be people who are shaped by the word. And if we eliminate the Word, then we're just going to be shaped by our world. You're going to come in and have certain traditions. I'm going to have certain traditions. You're going to have certain styles. I'm going to have certain styles. And all of those things are more or less going to regulate how we do church. And we don't want to do it that way. We want to be people who are regulated by the Word. We're living underneath the Word. And one of the things you see here in Antioch is that the first thing they mention are people who are prophets and teachers. The second thing you see, and you don't necessarily see it right away from the text, is this orientation around the Word has now brought together a band of social incompatibles. Look at the the names listed here. Barnabas is a Jewish Levite. Perhaps he's a Jewish priest. He came from the island of Cyprus. When the Jews were dispersed, he got dispersed. His family got dispersed somehow, and they ended up on Cyprus, and that was where he was from. Simeon was a black man. Lucius was from North Africa, a city called Cyrene. Manaean was a man who was raised with Herod. So he's a mortal enemy of almost all of these people that so far we've Listed. He grew up in the house of Herod. And then we have a Pharisee named Paul or Saul as he's listed. You see, you see just what's happened in the leadership? In the leadership of this church, you're seeing a band of natural enemies, a band of social incompatibles begin to gather around and have their new orientation around the cross, and therefore they can get into the same orbit together. 
And finally, we see in verse 3, really what's one of the most incredible movements of the gospel. It's the first of a, a wave of missionary adventures. And so Paul and Barnabas are called and set apart, and they go out to Asia, and then in the next wave, they go even further, and they find themselves in Europe, and the gospel is spreading across the globe, really because of this movement, and has completely shaped the way you and I think in Western history particularly. So this particular church, this group of people, these leaders were the ones who began to shape their culture. This is what James Boyce says about this particular church. Antioch's integration demonstrated in the diversity of its members the full unity of all the people within the body of Christ. Because this church was well taught and integrated, it was well equipped to go into the pagan world with Christ's gospel. As representatives of this church, as the representatives of this church went to the Greeks or the Romans or the barbarians or the slaves or the free persons of the Roman world, they could say, the gospel is for you. And if those whom they spoke replied, well, how do you know it's for me? Then they could answer back, because of the way it functions at our church. They'd seen a model in their church. They knew the gospel was for women. They knew the gospel was for men. They knew the gospel was for blacks. They knew the gospel was for whites. They they knew the gospel was for the poor. They knew the gospel was for the powerful. Because they had experienced in their own church, so they weren't afraid to go across any social hurdle, any ethnic hurdle, any gender hurdle, any hurdle that was keeping a people group away from the gospel. They knew from their experience in their church that it could be done. And so the very, I want to go back to the very first thing. If this is going to happen, if if we're going to have the markings as an individual or the markings of a church, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to drop into the orbit around Jesus Christ. Your orbit is going to have to be, I'm facing Jesus Christ. I'm not facing my tradition I'm not facing my culture. I'm not facing my race. I'm not facing my nation. I'm not facing my political affiliation. I'm facing Christ. I'm getting completely oriented around Him. He is the sole gravitational pull on my life. And whatever it is He's saying, I'm willing to go in whatever direction that may be, whatever cost that might be to me in the culture. Now that sounds great, but what I love about the Bible is it tells you how it works itself out a lot of times, and it's not all really very easy or pretty. And somehow I I found myself really loving Peter, because he is one of the greatest leaders, and he makes some of the biggest blunders. And I don't think it's necessarily a good characteristic of mine, but I just appreciate watching leaders fail, uh, because, I mean, that helps me in some odd, probably very sinful way to think, okay, you know, even some of the greatest leaders have the clay feet, and they can't seem to keep getting it right, and so we find, when you turn to Galatians 2, this same difficulty that Peter faces is probably a difficulty most of us would face, 
Peter shows up at the church in Antioch. He'd probably been down in Jerusalem. People had heard about what was happening at the church at Antioch. They'd send some people up, and of course the leaders want to go and sort of affirm that it's a, it's a real movement of the Spirit. And Peter shows up, and he's having dinner with the Gentiles. He's listening to their music. He's eating their food. He's in their home. This is probably very odd for Peter, but he's enjoying it. Until somebody from the first church comes up from Jerusalem, the people from James, the circumcised group, the sort of the religious insiders, and Peter understood, you know, I don't think the religious insiders are going to want me to be inside with these people. And so you see, he withdraws. It says, Peter separated himself, which in the Greek means I'm drawing a boundary. See, I, I, I had crossed over this boundary, but now, because of the circumcision group, because of my fear, I'm step, stepping back and saying, no, 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 no. I mean, you guys can be Christians and stuff, but you're on that side, and I'm on this side. I mean, it's okay if you worship over there, but I I need to be over here. I, I have to draw a boundary now because I'm afraid. And I began just to ask myself right here at this point, what what's what's happening with Peter? What's what's going through his mind right at this point when when the people from Jerusalem show up? What's his Biggest problem right at this point. What's the root cause of his separation? And the easy answer is he fell into another orbit. He got oriented around something else. And then I asked myself, well, well, what is he oriented around? He, he was oriented around the cross. He fell into a different orbit. But what's his orientation right now? What would you say? Now, first of all, I thought, well, he's, he's oriented around the, the circumcision party, the people from Jerusalem. Some, some person has now become the most important person, and he's got to orient the, himself around that person. Or maybe it's just fear. I'm orienting myself around fear. My emotion of fear is the gravitational pull. Have any of you been in that situation? Just the emotion of fear is pulling on you and maneuvering you in ways. And then I thought, no, I don't think those two are it. I think those two point you to what's at the center. The circumcision party's arrival creates fear. And fear shows us something about Peter. And Peter had dropped out of the orbit that was around Christ, and now whose orbit was he in? Peter's. Everything had to be revolving around Peter, I want people to look at me and think good things about me. 
You see how that happens? I'm really mostly concerned with myself. And when things begin to get mixed up for Peter, he becomes afraid that somehow that's not happening. And he's got to He's got to make sure the right people are also looking at him in the right way. I've got to have that in my life. I've got to make sure if you're a visitor, I met you, I shook your hand, I smiled the right way, I said something funny, I invited you back, because I want you to like me. If, if, that's my, if that's my system, if that's what's orienting me, then I'm going to be constantly making you the center, but really I'm making me the center. I want myself to be most liked. And I wonder whether you're in high school, or you're in college, or you're single and you're thinking about somebody or any other stage in your life, really, really, are you oriented around the cross? Or do you have fears? And that fears point you to something. And that is, you're really in your own gravitational pull. You really want everything and everybody to orient themselves around you. That's what we learn about Peter. And this ethnic barrier brings that up. And I think it was brought up and Jesus was saying in some way, See Peter, you've got some work to do here. And I want you to just notice the key verse here. First of all, notice, notice that Peter's leadership is affecting even Barnabas. Him being the leader, other people are now beginning to draw boundaries Because he's drawing boundaries. And verse 14 is the key verse. Paul says their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter's conduct was not in step with the content of the Bible. In other words, when you looked at Peter, you didn't see the gospel. You saw Peter. And Jesus is saying, when people look at you, I want them to see me. I want them to see the gospel. I don't want them to see you. I don't want them to see your fears and your issues. I want you to live in such a way that when people see your character, what they see is gospel. And I want you just to consider the implications here. It's not just enough to have right gospel beliefs. You've got to have right gospel behavior. Those things have to move together. We're not just trying to build a church that just understands the Bible. We're trying to build a church that understands the Bible and then lives out the Bible. So that when people come into this community, or you move into your community, when people see us or see you, what they say is, there goes the gospel. I see the gospel. That's the gospel right there. I see it in their conduct. And then I get understanding, hey, they've got a different orientation. They're orbiting around something that's no longer themselves. 
They're completely different than the world that you find yourself in. And I want to find out what they're following. I want to get into their orbit because they've got something that I don't have. The first place to start is to ruthlessly evaluate whether you're really oriented around the cross. Are you really saved by grace? Or do you, did you bring something with you? Did you bring your nationality? Did you bring your education? Did you bring your power? Did you bring your talent? Did you bring your humor? Did you bring anything with you that you think, this is really an advantageous thing in terms of my salvation? Then you're not oriented around the gospel yet. The second thing is, we see that Jesus intentionally spanned a distance that none of us can appreciate. He came from heaven to earth. He overcome every potential barrier and to enter in to your life. And so now, as a disciple, are you intentionally, in some way, moving out beyond your social barriers, beyond your cultural barriers, beyond your ethnic barriers, beyond your racial barriers, beyond your political barriers, and are you beginning to form relationships with the hopes of creating unity so that people could see the gospel? Does the, the content of your, of your character display the content of the Bible. When when people see you, do they say, that's the gospel. I'm, I'm seeing the gospel. I'm watching the gospel right now. Let me give you one little practical implication of this, just in my own life as a conclusion. Because I think most of us would agree... Well, of course, we would agree with the Bible, wouldn't we? We're not going to say, no, I don't think the Bible's right on that. But I think we could say, yes, I see in Mark 15 all kinds of people around the cross. And I read in Revelation that every tribe and tongue and nation and all kinds, I see I'm for that. And I see the model. But somehow just seeing that and getting it into reality, You don't know how to take the next step if you even really want to take the next step. Uh, This past fall, I think it was in August or September, I was out at UNCW and I came across a little booth that was out there at a student fair and there was a a group of African Americans promoting their church, just like we were out there for Christ Community Church. I met the man that was the pastor of the church, a man named Robert Campbell. I got his card, he got my card. We promised to call each other, probably thinking, we're never going to call that guy. I mean, we don't have time for that. But I actually called him. So I said, hey, Robert, let's get together. Oh, great, yeah, let's, let's have lunch together. Okay, so we met, we had lunch together, a nice conversation. He's been in this church for four years. He sort of brought it from a small place to now it's growing. We had lots of, you know, things to share together. Found out that he has two sons that are on the Hoggard football team that my son was on. And so we found ourselves now seeing each other at these football games. And 
talking to each other. And I think sometime in November, I said, Robert, here's what I want to do next. I want uh, my family and your family to have lunch together after church. And we'll watch your kids squirm as you ask them about the sermon. And then you can watch my kids squirm as I ask them about the sermon. And so Nancy and Zachary and Paul and uh, Zachary Morgan, and we all went over to the Campbell's house. And we all, their family and our family, we had lunch together. Just beginning to build a relationship, just wanting to display the gospel, wanting to be intentional. So I continue to build my relationship with them. Last Sunday I said, Robert, I've got a Sunday off. I'm going to come to your church as long as you're preaching. Yes, I'm preaching. And I go to his church last Sunday morning. I'm at his church. Mostly African American, new believers. Uh, New believers, Christian church, I think. I can't quite remember. And there are a few, uh, you know, white Americans in there, mostly African Americans in there. And I'm trying to raise my hand and, you know, try to fit in, feeling a little awkward. Uh, and he, he says, I just want to appreciate Brother Paul being here, you know, just like you might imagine. We sang a lot. Uh, and so it was a good time. He called me Tuesday and said, Paul, I just want to appreciate that you came and love that you came. Would you mind preaching at my church sometime? You know, I didn't, I, I didn't want to say, you know, they'd be massively disappointed. I mean, I know you're trying to grow your congregation, but I don't need a sweat towel when I'm, you know, preaching. And, and I said, I, you know, I'd love to, love to. I don't know where it's going to go. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't have goals set for it. What I'm saying is I, I'm just looking around in my world I'm understanding there are natural black-white barriers. We can see it every Sunday here. I don't know what God might have in store. I have no idea. I don't have any illusions of any kind of grandeur that everything's going to come together in this church or any particular church. It's going to happen at the cross in Revelation. That's where it's really going to happen. But until that point... It's my job as a, as a Christian leader to begin to say, I want people to look at me and say, there goes the gospel. If it's not going to happen in the leadership, it's not going to happen in the congregation. And so I don't know where you are. You might really be in a group that's very homogeneous. and This is a nice sermon, but I'll be back next week to hear another good sermon that really hits me at home. I mean, I don't know where you are in this whole thing. It might make you really uneasy. But, But I want to show you this is the gospel. And no matter what your economic status, no matter what you look like, no no matter whatever you have or you don't have, when you get to the cross, everybody's on the same ground. Because it's grace. You didn't bring anything to earn it. He brought it all. And because of that, then we can fall into an orbit with social incompatibles, with natural enemies. Because I'm not looking at myself. I'm not looking at you. i got a new orientation. Let's pray together. Lord, I recognize just even in this sermon, 
The work of the Holy Spirit has to change hearts and minds and feet and hands. Has to change prejudices and traditions and cultural systems. But we have to just really get oriented around the cross first. But I pray that this church, Christ Community Church, especially today as we we think about the Martin Luther King holiday, we think about building a new building, that one of the markings of a person, one of the markings of the church, would be this mark for this church. A people who are intentionally hurtling over barriers, whatever they may be for us individually or corporately. Lord, we trust in your word, not in our ways. May it transform us into a person of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.